Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thanks so much for joining me as we continue to dive into the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. I appreciate you listening and supporting this podcast, and please feel free to reach out with input, comments, questions, ideas for guests. I would love to hear from you. Check out my website, soundshealstudio.com, and you can contact me from there. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa in Sarasota, Florida. You can check them out at theohmshop.com and see their large collection of singing bowls, chakra drums, zen tubes, and all kinds of sonic tools, as well as crystals, Himalayan salt lamps, energy decor, meditation gear, and all kinds of stuff. They also have a great blog and learning center. And please support them as they support their clients. They offer such good guidance when you're looking into this vibrational medicine field. And I've been so lucky to work with them and teach classes there. They truly lead with the best intentions and offer an amazing holistic experience. Thank you to the Ohm Shop and Spa for sponsoring this podcast. This episode is with Rich Goodhart, a world music multi-instrumentalist, composer, and recording artist, as well as a shamanic sound healing practitioner, a poet, writer, instrument builder, and also Qigong and Tai Chi instructor. He's composed, produced, arranged, and engineered eight albums, and also is the author of two books, including The Sound Inside the Sound. He's collaborated with Allen Ginsberg, John Anderson of Yes, Deepak Chopra, and so many others. We talk about his background, his early influences, and explorations of music of the world, getting to study with master musicians of Africa, India, America, and Indonesia, getting to collaborate and study with many of his idols and inspirations. We also talk about how he's brought together spiritual work, shamanic work, qigong, tai chi, into sound work as well. We also talk about his passion and dedication to integrity in the sound field, encouraging people to have healthy discussions and exploration, as well as research. So please enjoy this conversation with Rich Goodhart. Well, I'd love to start with your background, your your sound background as a child and early influences that uh, shaped your your life as a as a musician and, and a person. Mm, okay. Uh, how early to go? You know, <laughs> I've been asked this question other times, and probably the answers are not all the same. I, I think they're all truthful, but, but what I remember in the moment mm-hmm. <laughs> may be different. Um, but this came up recently in conversation with somebody that um, when I was a young boy, my, my dad, uh, particularly on the weekends, um, Seems to me like with Sundays, maybe, but maybe, you know, whatever the weather was, and if we were inside, 
he uh, played records and um, he had a stack of singles. Uh, one that stands out the most in my mind is Mac the Knife by Louis Armstrong's, mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong's version of it. And, um, and but then he also had a number of albums and in particular, he had a couple of uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass albums. Those Herb Alpert albums, um, they were very interesting instrumental albums. You know, a lot of cool little quirks in it and things and, and rhythmic things. Um, I think it was on the song A Taste of Honey. There's a point where the band comes to a pause and then the drum comes back in, doot, 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 and then they kick in with the horns and everything. And I would um, stand there by the sofa, holding on to the arm of the sofa. And when that pause came, I would try to jump just when the drums come in and like stomp to the drum coming in. And um, and it would upset my dad because it would make the record skip. You know? <laughs> uh, but I was, and then I was being drawn into rhythm and in, into music and, and trying to, you know, catch, <clears throat> catch the phrasings and things. And, um, so, you know, I, I would credit my dad, which I probably haven't really done much, but uh, credit him with really turning me on to music early on. And then uh, my uncle, who is actually not a blood relative uncle, but um, we called him Uncle Chuck and Aunt Grace, and he was a keyboard player and would play weddings and clubs and things. And on the holidays, we'd go to their house Christmas around Christmas time, and he had a piano and an organ in the house. And after dinner, the adults would sing, sit around the piano and sing. And and, and they had a, a camp on a lake, and and they had a Wurlitzer, the classic Wurlitzer electric piano that he had up there. And that um, there was a point where I got really interested in that, and he would just turn it on and you know show me a couple of things and then leave me alone and I could sit there for an hour or so and just find my way around the keyboard so that that's the earliest stuff but um jumping up a little bit into early teenage years and into the um classic progressive rock 70s uh that music really caught me particularly the music of yes mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 70s, yes, not the 80s, yes. There's a very <laughs> significant difference there. Yeah. Um, albums like Close to the Edge and Tales from Topographic Oceans, you know, a double a double LP with four tracks on it. I mean, they, they just don't make music like that anymore. Everything's so kind of compact and, and short. I mean, those were real soundscapes in a way. And, I mean, 20-minute journeys, you know. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, and that, you know, again, I wasn't thinking about sound healing or anything at that point, but uh, there were there were journeys. Yes, mm-hmm. he, he, you went on a trip with with them through the music, through mm-hmm. through the twenty minutes or so, or the, you know, eighty minutes of the entire album. Yeah. And um, so I was drawn to that that consciousness altering aspect of music where it could really take you into other realms and and, and not just it wasn't fantasy either um there was sort of this debate at times 
between them and between yes and Genesis and, and um, you know, a debate amongst some of my friends, um, fans of both of them, but which was the better band. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always came down on the side of yes. And not even, not a question of musicianship. Um, I mean, arguments could be made there, but I think in the long run, I see it that Genesis was much more of a, a fantasy band and a lot of progressive rockets kind of label is that, you know, this is sort of escapist fantasy. Um, and, and to me, that doesn't hold up, you know, 40 years later, I'm not interested in, you know, teenage escapist fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, you know, what yes was tuning into and really under the guidance of John Anderson was a, a more transcendent spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that was like the sort of the Pied Piper that led me astray into these realms. Into into music and sound as a healing force, as a consciousness force, as an awakening of spirituality and wisdom and insight and and into shamanic realms. And how did that influence your your playing at that age? Were you mostly playing keyboard um, in bands, or, or what did that look like? Yeah, I was playing keyboards um, mostly in bands. We, we we had a piano in the house that I was able to mess around with and get interested in, and then I convinced my dad to buy an organ, electric organ, uh, you know, one of those kind of home units, not not a gigging mm-hmm. organ, but um, it and it came with a number of lessons, and I had probably a dozen lessons on the on the organ, and then uh, and then connected with a friend down the street who was also a huge yes and progressive rock fan who was playing guitar, and mm-hmm. so we started hanging out. And learning things and just playing them and, and then creating creating bands which mostly played in the basement. Had mm-hmm. had a few gigs as teen as a teenager, but the majority of the time was just spent learning things. And we began right at the beginning. Um, you know, Smoke on the Water mm-hmm. and Led Zeppelin tunes, you know, the simpler Led Zeppelin sure. tunes, Whole Lot of Love or Heartbreak or something. Mm-hmm. Things things that you could just learn with almost no skill. And then we, as we moved through that, we started uh, learning Allman Brothers songs, mm-hmm. you know, in memory of Elizabeth Reed was a classic to do that really took you through some interesting chords and, and breaks and changes and things. And we worked our way up to doing Genesis and Yes and King Crimson and all that stuff. And then what's really amazing is you've been able to work with a lot of your idols and musical people that you've looked up to, of course, John Anderson included. Isn't that right? That you did a yes. collaboration yes. with him. So how amazing to be a teenager and, and look up to somebody and then later <laughs> collaborate. And I believe your your tabla player, uh, the person you look to as well. So let's kind of fill in the blanks of how you got to to where you were that you were able to collaborate with these people and approach these people and connect as well as all the instruments from around the world that you play probably ones that if you said their name people wouldn't know what they are what kind yeah, of, a few of those. <laughs> yeah what kind of made you 
pick up certain instruments or are you just one of those people that picks one up and, and you'll figure out how to play it? Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I tend to be someone who picks something up and then figures out how to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are times years ago when I would get a new instrument and I would say, this is it. I have enough now. I'm not going to get any more instruments. I'm going <laughs> yeah, right. to, I'm going to focus on just mastering these <laughs> mm-hmm. seven different instruments. And that lasts for about two years. Mm-hmm. And and then there's something else I want. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes I think, you know, I, I've, I've gotten down on myself and thought, well, you know, I don't have the focus and I'm, you know, scattered and I just, you know, I, I should, uh, Actually, at Cal Arts, when I was at the California Institute of the Arts, my tabla teacher there, one day he was getting mad at us students, and said, "You, you, you guys, you, you all have a problem. You, you don't want to focus. You want to do this, and you want to do that, and you want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we're at Cal Arts because we can do all yeah. these things. Yeah. And um, so, but I've come to see, you know, that that's my strength. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I play the instruments reasonably well. Um, you know, I, I do albums and record with them, and, and I have this this um, repertoire of voices. And uh, yes, I was a keyboardist first, and then I got interested in percussion, t- tabla. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned that. Um, the band Oregon was, um, we, we had a great radio station in the area, WRPI. It's, it comes out of the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, an engineering college nearby. And there was a time, I, I think going back to the 60s through the 70s and 80s, they were one of, considered one of the best radio stations in the country. And um, they had... Well, they had people that played all this alternative music, mm-hmm. and one of those bands that I got turned on through the, that radio station was the group Oregon, which some people call the Godfathers of the New Age. Kind of not very fair to say, to say that. Um, they were all very highly trained musicians, um, creating this this kind of new texture and sound. In a lot of ways, it was very much jazz. Um, you, you're probably familiar with Oregon, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and but the 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 real element that that made them unique, to, to in my experience, was Colin Walcott, who played uh, sitar and tabla, mm-hmm. you know, as well as a lot of other world and percussion instruments. And I um, so that led me to my interest in world percussion and in tabla in particular. And through RPI, actually, I met someone there who was DJ in there who played tabla, and he had an extra set that he loaned me and um, gave me some basic lessons on it. And um, and then, you know, as as I got into that, I thought, you know, I really want to take this further. And then Oregon was coming to town for a concert. And I thought, well, hey, I'm going to go backstage and find Colin. And... uh, Ask him if he knows anybody, and within um, 50 miles or so, um, I, I am about 60 miles from the center of town of Woodstock, so I figured mm. 
you know, down to Woodstock or somewhere in upstate New York. Maybe he knows someone that, that uh, can give me lessons. So at intermission of their concert, I um, just went off and wandered backstage. And it, it was perfect because there was nobody there. There were no security guards to stop mm-hmm. me or anything. And I'm walking through this hall backstage, this hallway, and uh, and I hear voices coming out of a room, and I hear it's, you know, it sounds like like the band. So I'm I'm kind of slow down to approach the room, and I figure you know catch my breath. How am I going to walk in on these guys? And so I'm approaching the room, and Colin just steps out of the room. You know for what reason I don't know, but he just walks out, and suddenly in an instant there I am standing alone in the hallway with Colin. And, um, and, and, you know, that's an example of a number of things, but just that was like the most immediate example of having an intent and then having the world or whatever just presented, here you are, <laughs> this is what you wanted. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I asked him, I talked to him, told him why I was looking for him. And uh, he thought for a moment and he said, well, you know, no, I can't really think of anybody. But I live out near Oneonta, and if you want my number, I'll give you my number. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, if you can't think of anybody else, if better you're the you. only person, <laughs> yeah, anybody better than you, anybody that I idolize more than you, <laughs> I guess I'll take your number. Mm-hmm. And um, and where he lived is about 75, 78 miles from me. And uh, when they came back from that tour, it was I think that was October or November when I met him. And then in January, uh, shortly after the new year, he was back home. And uh, I began studying with him for for um, the better part of a year. Mm. It turned out to be the last year of his life. That's right. Did he pass away on their tour abroad? Yeah. 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 And um, they were on the Autobahn in Germany in November. Mm. And there was a crash, crash of the tour bus. Wow. What a um, a shock, I'm sure, in that part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very I mean, much. it was a really interesting time. I mean, that's really when the upswing of world music and just this rise of world music, which the word itself is interesting because wor- what world, what culture, you know, and I guess anything but yours, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I sometimes sometimes I say that, you know, people will talk about what I'm doing and I say, "Well, you know, I'm just a white boy in upstate New York." <laughs> but but that's part of the world too. Yeah. yeah. Do you consider yourself a, a world music musician? Is that what you would call yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh for lack of any other term. Yeah. Um I I think there's a line in my bio that I've been using for quite a number of years that um, I work with world music in non-traditional forms. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right, if you're, if you're not in that particular culture, in that particular tradition, if you're playing that instrument, it's going to be in non-traditional forms. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and I've studied in traditional forms. Mm-hmm. I've studied tabla traditionally. I've studied African drumming traditionally. Um you know, when I was at Cal Arts, uh, some of my friends, and I'm not putting them down at all, but they would adopt uh, 
you know, when they were in the Indian classes, they'd be wearing those Indian mm-hmm. shirts with mm-hmm. the little collars and, and sure. being all Indian. And then when we'd be doing an, the African thing, they'd be putting on the African dashiki, is that what it's called? Those Nigerian shirts. Or, mm-hmm. And they would be adopting, you know, those aspects of the culture while they were doing that music. And I could never do that. It just didn't feel right. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have anything against them doing it. But for me, I felt like, well, you know, I'm not that. I'm not one of them. I'm honored to be studying with these people and I'll honor the music. But I I could never, I, I just, it was not in me. That was not my path to really adopt any of these particular cultures. Right, right. Well, I'm curious how the shift happened for you and I guess how it influences you as a musician because you really um, dove into shamanic and Qigong studies. When did that happen and how did that shift you as a person? Well, when I was about 20, I... uh, really got into reading spirituality. The first book I read was um, The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. And rapidly uh, that year, that summer, on through the next several years, I read many things, but including was was the Carlos Castaneda books. Mm -hmm. And I read the first five books pretty much right in order. As soon as I finished one, I went out and got the next one. And uh, are you, you're probably familiar with those as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that really introduced me to that whole realm of shamanism. And reading those books, it just seemed so natural. I felt like I was in that world or that world was in some way uh, waiting for me or calling to me in some, some manner. And uh, I didn't pursue that. I didn't like head off to find Don Juan in the desert or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've since connected with people who have studied with him directly, and uh, that's a whole other story. But you know, his name is different and everything. But there really was a person. I, I, I know that there are books that purport to de- debunk all of. Carlos is things and say that this was all made up, but that's not true. Um, there's a lot that was made up or expanded upon in in Carlos's imagination, but he really did go both to Arizona and down to Mexico and, and meet with this um, master, uh, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just hesitating around the word shaman because he didn't really call himself a shaman. But right. um, so, um, where am I going with that? That 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 was the door that opened me up to to shamanism. And, and though I didn't pursue it directly for a long time, I did have experiences on my own that um, related to that realm, very shamanic, alternate perception sorts of experiences. Uh, including a lot happening with dream, uh, the dream world. I, I think if anything from the books that I actually did spend some time practicing were some of the uh, instruction around uh, being able to wake up in your dreams and, and have lucid dreaming. 
Um, so that was partly instigated by those books and partly just seemed to happen naturally. And uh, and then I also, in my 20s, um, got turned on to Tai Chi, became aware of that, and in my late 20s, learned a form of Tai Chi, the, the most common, the Chen Man Ching version of the Yang style form. I learned that and practiced that for a while, and over time added other Qigong practices. And Tai Chi actually being a form of Qigong, Qigong mm -hmm. being a more general, broader term. And so there was that that I was developing practice in practicing. There was the shamanism, which I ended up studying with, you know, taking some workshops with different people. And then there was the sound healing and my teacher that I met for that, my primary teacher, woman, Sarah Benson, who is known in who, those who know her, um, know her as sound healing's best kept secret. Mm -hmm. um, also a teacher of teachers. Mm -hmm. She was um, Jonathan Goldman's first sound healing teacher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of us know Jonathan yeah. or know of his work. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, uh, so I had these three different streams of of, of spiritual study, uh, energetic, spiritual consciousness, whatever you want to call all these things. There was the sound, there was the qigong, and there was the shamanism. And somewhere along the way, in in my time teaching at, at the Omega Institute, I, I'm on I've been on core faculty there teaching in different ways since about 1997 and uh and one year I was you know had an opportunity to teach an opportunity to teach some new classes for staff and I thought well what can I do you know what what new can I come up with and it occurred to me in that moment in contemplating that that all three of these different streams were all part of one greater thing mm -hmm. and um so then I, at that point, I started consciously combining them. So a real merging of the, the spiritual, the energetic, and the, the sound. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I found that in working with uh, Sarah, that it was all sound work, and she didn't call herself a shaman, but it was really a shamanic approach to sound. She was not concerned too much with the science it was very experiential you know we're going into the sound um in fact the, the first time i went she, she and she lived about two hours from me and uh classic case uh, another case of when you're ready the teacher appears mm -hmm. you know colin colin appeared literally you know manifested you know <laughs> through a doorway in an instant and um and then some years later, I was invited to teach a, a hand drumming workshop at a sacred arts retreat week at the Abode of the Message, which is a Sufi community in upstate New York. And for a very long time was also the headquarters of the Sufi Order of the West that was founded by um, Hazrat Inyad Khan, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which also amongst sound healers, um, Many of us know of his his writings, yeah. and they're highly recommended. And and um, so this community 
his son, Pir Zalat in Yad Khan, um, I think that's the name properly, uh, that was his headquarters mm. in America. And so I was invited to teach at an offer drumming workshop at a week-long Sacred Arts Week. And at that week, uh, Sarah was there. Sarah Benson was there doing sound healing workshop. And and that's where I met her. I didn't know who she was prior to that. And that was a, yet another case of when you're ready, the teacher appears because after she attended my workshop, I attended hers. And then afterwards she said um, that she thought I was ready to come and study with her. Mm. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, and that first, so that first time when I went to her house for just a one day, all day, you know, introductory practice, we arrived and in the morning and there was, there was either nine other people or I was one of nine, I don't remember. But we were all sitting in her room in a circle and she said, okay, now let's begin. And everyone, you know, one by one, you know, introduce yourself and then sound. Hmm. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> uh, well, let, let me step back a, a moment on this story. I was on the phone with her some days prior getting uh, getting directions and, you know, details of anything when to show up. And I said, so, you know, what do you want me to bring? And she said, oh, you don't need to bring anything. And I said, oh, okay. Then I guess you have the instruments or whatever. You know, this is, she says, oh, no, this isn't about instruments. This is all about your voice. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I don't use my voice, not <laughs> with music and sound. And she laughed and she said, oh, you will. You're about to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're about to. <laughs> um, so it was through her that I really, that I learned that what I consider to be the real core essence, if you're doing sound work, is needing to work with your voice. Mm. And we can go into that more, but just to continue the story, I began there. That first day with her, she said, okay, you know, introduce yourself and then sound individually, one by one, you know, in this room of nine or 10 people. And uh, so people would say, you know, introduce themselves, and then they would just tone and sound and let the sound come out in in a very free-form way. And, you know, I was at least halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way around the circle, but as it gets closer and closer, you start getting more and more nervous. Mm-hmm. I think many of us have experienced this. Yeah. <laughs> a sort of thing yeah and, and then when it's you know by the time it comes to the person next to you you're not even like listening to what's going on oh, anymore yeah. you're all in your head <laughs> yep. about what am I going to do mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then and then it's my turn and then you're there and it's like either you you know faint and die or you just you know step up and here's the moment mm-hmm. <laughs> the moment is now and uh, so I did and I just sounded and stuff came out that I never had done before Mm. and it was just a matter of being completely present in the moment with what you are and what you feel and allowing that to be expressed through sound and letting it come out Mm. and so her work was very shamanic Mm -hmm. in working with the voice and uh, yeah you know 
ask me another question. I, I, I could go on and on with that. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, yeah, I mean, really what you've created, I, I think you call it something like shamanic sound medicine. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really this combination of all these influences for you. I'm wondering, you know, with the hundreds of instruments or more that you have, what would it be like to go to one of your performances? Do you have a plan or do you just um, see what you're guided to play and to sing or what what kind of things do you combine together for those? Well, yeah, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I probably don't have hundreds of instruments, but I may have a, I may have about a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's that's you know if you count every drum every different kind of drum mm. as a single instrument, um, so I'm not that you know. You know there may be only like a dozen different types of instruments that I play regularly, but um, when I do my events, the way it has been happening in recent years is I have one gong, I have a whole bunch of really nice antique antique Himalayan bowls. And I have Native American flutes. I have some different drums. I have uh, the Dusangoni, which is a six-stringed West African harp lute. Um, there's a piece of music that I recently posted on my YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah. That's excellent. So that instrument that starts that, that's kind of a, like a bass instrument, bass um, pentatonic kind of funky bass groove instrument that's the deuce and goni and that that song is where paths of power meet is that yes the, yeah mm -hmm. which um yeah the, the title certainly taken from uh, or influenced by the castaneda books mm -hmm. uh, it's probably a chapter in one of the books mm -hmm. um so i have that i have sansa which are african plucked instruments you know kalimba and imbira that kind of thing um various shakers and percussion and melodica mm -hmm. and um, maybe another thing or two. Oh, oh, the bazooki, which is a Greek long neck mandolin. And then, of course, you know, of course, not to be forgotten, which I almost forgot, is the Cosmosonic Trance Banjo, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which you can also find several nice videos of that. Will you describe on, that? On, yeah. Yeah. Well, for one thing, go to YouTube and put in my name in Cosmosonic Trans Banjo and find my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think, at least four different videos of me playing that. One of them filmed really nicely, professionally filmed in the Omega Sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So you can see it, you know, see what it is. But I'll describe it for your listeners. Is It's a banjo, but connected to the banjo to the bridge are two springs two very long approximately half inch diameter springs and uh, they're connected to the bridge and then they fan out about eight to ten feet away into where they're connected to the center of two frame drums attached to tripods so this sets up this loop of echo and reverb um, very naturally acoustically created, no electronics. So you get this very cosmic sonic effect on the banjo. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a reverb, a very lush reverb, but it's also an echo. And it's also um, this kind of flanging, uh, flanging phasing effect that you get on it as well. So it's like a 
three-channel multi-effects uh, processor mm -hmm. done entirely without electronics yeah. <clears throat> and uh, creates just a certain kind of sound that I work with. So I use that a lot mm -hmm. in the uh, in, um, in my sound work and in my events. In fact, I'm just pulling out a sheet of paper right now that happens to be on my desk. And that was a quote from somebody at Omega last summer. And I was going to put this on my website. I haven't done it yet. But she says, it feels like you're sitting in the center of the universe. Mm. So, mm -hmm. Because when I do it, um, not, not when I'm doing events, you know, if I'm doing an event for a room full of, whether it's 10 people or 100 people, it's um, just there in the room. If I'm doing it in a large event at Omega or elsewhere, it may be miked through the PA. But when I'll, I'll set up outdoors, like when I'm at Omega, I'll set up in the garden, and then people can come and sit in the middle, in between the that V-shaped um, setup with the springs and the banjo and the resonators. So you can be right in the middle of it. So I use all of these things in in my sound medicine. And yes, I um, I don't have an agenda. You know, if I do, there was a I went through a period for a while where I would, I would often think beforehand that, oh, hey, I have this idea. I'll start with this instrument or I'll start with that instrument. Um, so there would be that, just that thought to pre-planning. But, but one of the real essential things to do this work, I think with any kind of sound healing, you know, if you're really going to do it, is to show up and be present without an agenda, mm -hmm. is to really learn to feel what's being called for in the moment to listen to spirit, to listen to energy. If you're working with one person to really listen and tune into where that person's at. Um, if I'm doing it for an event, then you just tune into the collective, the whole, <clears throat> the day, the evening, the weather, the, the room and clear your mind and then let the sound speak. Mm -hmm. So whenever I had that idea that, Oh, I'm going to start with this instrument. As soon as I sat down, and then I cleared my mind and I tuned in and I do what I do internally to call in, you know, spirit and ask for that guidance. Uh, without fail, it was always something other than what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I, I've 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 gotten to where I've dropped that entirely now. I, I don't I don't even bother to waste my time mm -hmm. thinking that I'm going to do something. Just have it all set up and. Use yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and in the course of an evening, you know, I'll, I'll, I often will just, I often will do an intro piece. Like I'll just play the cosmosonic banjo for five or 10 minutes as an intro. Then I'll talk and then I'll go into the, um, the full on sound medicine journey, which can take anywhere, usually from about 50 minutes to an hour and a half, somewhere in that range. And, uh, and yes, if you've been to a number of my events, you'll know that I do play the gong and the bowls and the dusangoni and the flutes and the drums all get an airing in you know in the course of that experience. Some some instruments don't get played. Mm -hmm. You know the sons or the bazooki. Sometimes they get played. Sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. um, in what I do on the instruments, the way that I you know the order that I do them in, you know the music that comes through is always unique in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So. I, do, I don't. I don't. Ha I don't have compositions that I play on the bowls, for instance. Or, right. You know. So every time would be much different from the next. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and very importantly, mess this out. I use my voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Sarah was right, and 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 her work, her training. You know, I, I ended up working with her for about ten years um, until she until she passed and left the earthly realm. Uh, but for ten years, I worked with her and both studied with her, but also became part of a trio with her, her and myself and Jim Ballard, a, another friend of ours, and we would do what she would call sounding celebrations. Mm. And they would be events, you know, sound healing events, and we'd work together as a trio a trio of sound shaman and and she would also play instruments you know she played flute piano had conch shells and metal bowls and drum and shakers so she she used all those things but the work came you know the the practice came through the voice and so yes i use that a lot in in my sounding work and and it continues to open, you know, it's opened, so much has opened up through my voice, through doing this work, and continues to do so. And is it usually, um, again, in the moment, maybe you're toning with an instrument, is there ever a particular language that you're called to sing, or? No, yeah. yes, yes and no, yes, it's in the moment, <laughs> <laughs> and... It's often with an instrument. Uh, it can be with a drum, can be with the shakers. I can be toning or sounding with the bowls and the gong. With the deuce and goni, almost invariably, if I get something happening on the deuce and goni, I'll bring the voice in. And it's all very in the moment. <clears throat> I uh, and it's really reflective of where I'm at in that moment too. You know, just the weather, what I've been doing that day. My voice can have a lot of range of. You know, it can be very limited or seemingly limited to me, or it can have a lot more expression in terms of melody and, mm. and tone. And uh, one of the things about doing this this way, even when I think my voice is really off and I'm just sort of croaking sounds, you know, it's it's not very particularly musical. But but I, and that 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 itself is another thing. It doesn't have to be musical. This isn't about singing your favorite song or being an opera singer or something. It's about tuning into presence and allowing it to be sounded, mm -hmm. sounded, which may or may not be musical. Um, but wherever it's at, even when I feel like I'm not really on with my voice, I'll always get people afterwards that tell me how amazing my voice was. And I think, what are you listening to? <laughs> you know, <laughs> were you really listening to me? Were you... You know, I mean, that's my self, um, self-criticism that comes mm -hmm. in and thinks, oh, really? You know, but I've, I've come to accept that. I, You know, I don't, I, I, you know, I mean, incredibly grateful for the, anybody who's, who has that experience and tells me that mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> because I don't always perceive it that way. Well, before we move on a bit to talk about kind of the current state of sound healing field. Maybe just mention a little bit about, we did mention one song from your new album, but anything you want to mention about your recordings or, or collaborations with people that you've worked on? Sure. Well, 
we mentioned um, meeting Colin, who was one of my idols, and and I ended up studying with him for about ten months until he went on the road again and never came back. And I would go out to his house and study. And that first time when I was going out there, and I was on the phone with him, I asked him how much, you know, how much it would cost for a lesson. And he said, oh, somewhere between um, zero and a million dollars. <laughs> and uh, he didn't take any money from me. Mm. And and about halfway into it, one day, I was out there and and um, we ended up going out into his garden and I was helping him with a little gardening. And I said, so Colin, you know, I'm happy to pay you whenever, you know, let me know. And he just said, I'll, I'll let you know when you're ready to start paying me. Hmm. which he never did. Yeah. Um, that leads in, you know, so there's one. And then I ended up, uh, when I was doing my Earth Spiral Water Sound album, I had a song that, uh, you know, lyric song that needed a vocal, a woman's vocal on it. And I had friends and knew people and connected with people and in my general upstate New York area uh, and was trying different people out singing the song and nobody was really doing what I heard. And I said, um, I said to one of my friends, I said to her, you know, do you know anybody that sounds like Joanne Shenandoah? Joanne being this native American singer, Grammy winning Mm -hmm. native American singer. She sang at, um, Bill Clinton's inaugural balls, um, She's, you know, like the leading voice in in the Native American scene. And so this friend said, well, why don't you ask Joanne? And I was like, um, yeah, great idea. Why didn't I think of that? I just assumed she was, you know, lived far away and, you know, whatever. And so I emailed her through, through the wonders of the Internet. Mm-hmm. I was able to email her. And she... Um, wrote back and said, you know, well, send me the track and I'll let you know. And turns out she lives in upstate New York about an hour and a half away from me. And uh, and then she said yes. Mm-hmm. And she, ended, she told me, she said, I usually don't do these kind of things, but my husband and my daughter thought it was, you know, a really good song and convinced me to do it. Cool. Wow. So that's another one. And then on that same album, I got David Allen, who was um, probably my two biggest musical influence idols um, from teenage years on were David Allen of the band Gong. He was the founder, co-founder, leader of the psychedelic art rock band Gong, which is very much a European band, British, French, Australian and uh, he—he's um, really, you know, if you know that music and you know of that band, he was really a leading light in that realm. And they were one of the most influential bands in that whole realm of psychedelic art rock. And, and then John Anderson, the the visionary vocalist uh, of the band Yes. And uh, again, through the wonders of the internet, I got to study—or not study, but but to work with both of them to record, to create music. And um, 
David I had in in the studio in Woodstock as well as doing things remotely. But we we did a number of pieces, probably about seven, I think, four pieces on one album, two on another, and then another piece on one of David's albums that I played on that we that we created together. And then working with John, John Anderson. And all of these come about by having the intention at some point to work with these people, developing my own work to the point where I feel confident to present it to them, and then having them say, hey, yeah, sure, I'll do that. (laughs) They're humans too, you know? Mm -hmm. All you have to do is ask. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's get into, you know, kind of why we've connected through sound healing and of course these online communities um you run the sound healing forum which is a website online and i see you of course uh share things on some facebook groups that are all about sound healing so let's get into the current state of the sound healing field why it seems like it's um such a a a buzzword and buzz topic right now and maybe some goals that you have about clarifying certain things, um, using discernment and judgment when it comes to just a lot of information that comes out about sound healing that might not quite be right. Hmm. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous subject. <laughs> <laughs> this could be this could be my downfall. <laughs> the whole interview could go off course here. <clears throat> um. Yeah, well, I have this thing about integrity mm-hmm. in what we say and what we do and, and being informed about that as well, you know, so that we can then have an integrity that's based on on valid information and, and valid experience. And um, so I, I tend to be, I suppose a somewhat prominent voice through these forums for for this and for uh, dispelling a lot of the um, fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, to, be, to be use a gentle word. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, yes, sound healing is becoming a, a you know a very common buzzword these days or phrase, uh, sound therapy. Um, you know, there's arguments about what to call it exactly. I'm not really too hung up on that. As you mentioned earlier, I call what I do these days shamanic sound medicine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that term may, you know, I think applies to what I do, but it may not apply to what someone else does. So it's, it's more than just one thing. And it's great that it's becoming known. I, I think it's a very... Um, vital and palpable form of energy medicine. Um, you know, it's it's there's different forms of energy medicine, and they all work with the idea of energy and vibration. But a lot of them, like, like Reiki, there's a form of energy medicine, and it's very popular. But you can't with Reiki, and this is nothing at all against it. You know, I, I practice it a little bit. I have friends who are, you know, master practitioners. And uh, but you don't, 
you can't control the energy in the same way that you can with sound. You know, with sound, you you can control the the frequency, the harmony, the vibration, you know, the intensity, the volume, um, all these parameters you can learn to control and move through in different ways. So for me, um, not that I have any bias towards sound, I mean, I have a huge bias towards sound <laughs> being a musician, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's a very potent, very powerful, and very um, consciously controllable form of energy medicine. So it's great that it's becoming more known and many people are getting into it and it's spreading around. And and on the other hand, with things like that, they can also spread with a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. and misunderstanding about what it really is to do sound healing work. So I, I think that that is something that is very significant in the state. The current state of the sound healing world is there are a lot of people doing great work, and there are a lot of people doing things and saying things and putting things out there that simply aren't true, that are very misleading. A lot of it, I think, comes from just not knowing. There's just a lot of ignorance. I know that word carries with it you know, negative connotations. You know, if you call somebody ignorant, it's like an insult. Mm. But just, I don't, you know, I just, what I mean is just not knowing about something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be an insult. <laughs> you know, you're just not, not deeply informed or, or really fully informed about something. And, you know, there are plenty of topics I'm ignorant on. Um, so, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, a lot of that is, is, is just, this mis this misinformation gets spread around, and for a lot of people, it's just simply because they don't know. They, they've been told by prominent teachers, mm-hmm. and so they think, okay, this is it. And and it's really more the, the the prominent teachers and the YouTube videos that spread this disinformation. That um, and I just use the word disinformation, differentiate between misinformation. I think they both exist. Misinformation, just having the wrong information and, and believing it's true. And then there's also disinformation where it's intentionally false information being spread, which that probably bothers me the most Mm. because I know there are people who know far better and they know they're spreading false information. Well, maybe, you know, a good question is if somebody's getting into sound healing, they're reading books, they're going to classes, how do they know? How can they... um, research in the best way or or use discernment to even know if the information they have is um, of truth or not. Yeah. Um, Which is a really good, really good question. There's both, I think, internal and and external ways to approach that, um, both being necessary. And the external way is to seek out uh, reputable sources. And I would basically claim two of those, or, or not claim them for myself, but but name mm-hmm. name two of those. What and one is the Sound Healing Forum, which is an online forum that I host that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And our intent there is to maintain that integrity. And there's self um, self policing, I suppose, between myself and people like Mitch Noor. Mm-hmm. 
and some others who who have a you know real strong commitment to digging deep into whether something is true or not so that's one resource where there's a lot of there's not a lot of ongoing activity there but there's a really good supply of topics in in research and uh, exploration and that um that comes from that place of uh integrity and and study and then also which is much more active is where i think we've met is the facebook page the art and science of sound healing mm -hmm. in which thomas or anderson uh operates runs you know with with the same the same kind of commitment to um wisdom and integrity and science and validation so there's that those are two great resources you know for external study for for looking looking deeper into things and then there's the internal thing of really going in and feeling whether something mm -hmm. is really happening or not um if somebody tells you that 741 is a healing frequency and they make a video a YouTube video with all about 741 hertz. Um, are you really, you know, tune in and see if you really feel some kind of special energy or magic in that 741 hertz tone right. that you don't feel in 740 mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. 739 or 742? Sure. Um, you know, and I think if you really legitimately look at a lot of these things with a healthy skepticism, um and, and with that kind of discernment and skepticism isn't just closing the door on something it's just going into something and saying is this really true <laughs> let me see for myself let me see what exactly are they saying and let me consider the parameters around that and i think you can discover a lot on your own that way mm -hmm. that is really well put the internal and external i mean you know there's such a need for for research, validation, and, and data, but a lot of it is experiential. You know, how does it make you feel? Does it shift yeah. you in some way? Is just as important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that I think are false information, that can shift you as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can listen to a 528 thing, 528 supposedly being the frequency of love. Well, there is absolutely zero... Um, there's absolutely zero information in any way, scientific or otherwise, to support that claim. Mm. And it does not appear in any ancient text or anything. But that is one of the things that is, you know, propagated. Um, but if you just listen to a 528 hertz tone, are you feeling love mm -hmm. emanating and arising in your heart from that tone? And maybe you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. but then try it with 520 seven hertz tone <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know yeah try it try it with 666 right. you know the devil's number or 616 you know depending on what version of the bible you look at it's mm -hmm. 616 mm -hmm. um but try that frequency and better yet have someone play those frequencies for you without you knowing what they are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we can all go into any of these things with the power of suggestion and um so take that out and have somebody um, play those frequencies for you without telling you what they are and see what you feel. Right, and, and that just kind of 
shines the light on intention. If you say this particular frequency is for this purpose, well, then you have that intention in mind for using it for that way. You know. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that, that's what I meant to get out there and didn't really complete my thought. Oh, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that it's, you know, there is that effect. So you may have it an effect with 528 or some other frequency um, or, or, or music that's made with those frequencies that claim to have them in there somewhere in the music, buried in the music are those frequencies. Um, but, right, you know, the intent that you go into it with and the the effect and power of sound may have a very you know influential and positive effect on you, but it's also an effect that will happen with quite a few other frequencies. Mm-hmm. I I am very much an anti-frequencyist. I'm yeah. not into frequencyism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we we may have even coined that term that 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 term. Uh, we didn't coin the tone, but we coined the term frequencyism frequency, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in, in discussion at the Art and Science page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one, one, one time Thomas and I were uh, having a discussion and we conducted research that um, determined that 92.8% of all information in the sound healing world is false. Yikes. Um, mm. I- including that figure. Right. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could you really calculate? Right. That? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on, on this topic in particular. But I think you know, for now, um, I was just thinking how um, apt your name is, Rich, because you know your your music is so rich, your your life and your. Um, all the work you've done is very rich, and you know, I encourage people to seek out your work, your recordings. Go to YouTube, write in Rich Goodheart. But also, you know, people that want to to meet you and work with you in person. I know you have a retreat later this year um, in late September. Do you want to talk about that in case people are are curious? Yes, working yes, with for you? sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for one thing, sure, uh, check out my YouTube uh, videos, and but also the CDs. Um, I, I still have CDs. I still make CDs and <laughs> sell them. Sell them Good, to some yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend them. I just, uh, I, I sometimes sell downloads, but I don't actually don't have anything up on, on iTunes or anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, when people inquire and want want a certain track, I, I will. Uh, do do an exchange, uh, you know, a PayPal exchange, and send them. And I recently just sent somebody four tracks from the new album. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, try to listen to them in order. And even then, um, it's unfortunate because you put them in your player, it's going to create a space between the tracks, oh, and yeah. a lot of the tracks flow together. Mm-hmm. You know, they overlap, or the, you know, the the music ends up flowing into river sounds and water, and then that out of that another piece flows so the cd experience is really the way this stuff was meant to be heard mm-hmm. you know it, it still comes from what we used to do back in the 70s when we would get together uh, with friends and we just have listening parties like hey you know, i'm going over to dave's house tonight and what we would do is go down in his room and spend two or three hours just listening to sides of albums mm-hmm. um I, I i know things have changed and people don't 
seem to do that as much. Um, but how do I know what people do? You know, but certainly in my realm and people I talk to, that's less of a thing. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, I highly encourage that. Um, I, you know, due to the coronavirus, I've currently lost all of my spring and early summer work. Mm -hmm. So I'm out of a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so if you buy my albums, it's one way to get. Um, you know, events. Just last Friday, I had an event that was canceled. I have some things coming up canceled. Um, but you can still get my music. It'll help me buy groceries. Mm -hmm. And and you will get that sound experience. You know, the last two albums I've created are both double CD albums. They're filled with a lot of music. And each of them have have sound medicine journeys on them that you can go deeply into the sound with. Um, and hopefully if things improve enough that Omega... Omega was uh, scheduled to open on May 8th, and right now it's been pushed back to June 29th. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, two months of the season have already been canceled. Yeah. And, you know, like everybody, it's – we don't know really if or when it will open. Mm -hmm. um, but if things go well and we're ab they're able to open, I will be teaching there in July for a couple of weeks. I, I do a lot of teaching on staff there. I, I've had nine weeks this year scheduled. I've already lost four of those weeks. Um, but where I teach Qigong on a daily basis, and then at different times in the day or evening, I will do sound medicine, shamanic sound medicine events for the whole community, or I'll be doing classes for staff or for the R&R &R guests. And But the big thing is the catalog workshop which you mentioned, in the end of September, September 25th to 27th. And it'll be my third year for doing this, where it's it's a weekend retreat. It's, it's in the Omega catalog. You can get that online, going to eomega.org. You can go to my website, richgoodhart.com, spelled R-I-C-H-G-O-O-D-H-A-R-T.com, and find information there on um, description of, of this retreat and registering information. So hopefully that will happen, and and if it does, that's that is is the ideal way to experience my work, and to study with me. Um, you know, on the forums, I will get into a lot of information, a lot of intellectual work, because you know we're we're dealing with that medium of the written word. So on on the forums that we mentioned in the Facebook pages, you you can find my twenty true sound healing truths. Uh, you can find my articles on 432, on Schumann resonances and all that. But in the workshop, it's very little of that. I, I address that as, as much as people have questions and want me to address things like that. But the far great majority of the workshop really draws on what I did with Sarah in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's very experiential. We're using our voices. We're going into sound and I'm mixing it up with doing my sound medicine journeys where it's a passive receptive thing where we, you know, do a ceremonial deep sound medicine journey, excuse me, to, to enter into the sound in a way, in the way that I can lead that through my work, which again draws on Qigong, draws on shamanism, draws on sound healing, draws on being a musician for 40 years. All of that goes into creating 
this, you know, my sound medicine. And, uh, and then, you know, even more than that, we spend really working together in ways that we can only really do live in person. Mm -hmm. I, I have, I've resisted, you know, people have asked me about doing, you know, everybody's doing things online now, moving online because of the virus. And I would like to do that. And the only reason I don't is because what I do is, is so much more potent, so much more juicy and alive Mm -hmm. when you're gathering together in a room together. Yeah. Yep. It's tricky. The online just, it does take away so much, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of my friends, um, Lana Ryder, who you probably know yeah. through the mm-hmm. through the forum, she came two years ago to, to the workshop at Omega. And um, and at, at my page on my website for this, you can actually, you can go to a page where I have about eight or ten testimonials from people who have taken the workshop. So you can get their you know, one of the better ways to understand what the experience is like is to see what other people are saying about it than having me try to tell you mm-hmm. what it is about. Uh, but she, not too long ago, posted on somewhere where I had posted about the workshop at Omega. It's still on, as far as we know. It's, you know, scheduled to go forward, um, depending on the virus. But she said, you know, what's really wonderful is do all these online things now you know, study, read, mm-hmm. um, get the information you can from these online people, and then, then take all that and let's gather together yeah. at Omega with Rich, yep. and and then take all of that and and you know, give it, give it some real, live. You know, immersion and, and expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once we're all able to get together in person again, it'll be that much more powerful. Yeah. 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 Well, excellent. Gosh, is there anything that you were really hoping to uh, focus on that we that we didn't, or any last things you want to announce? Um, anything that we didn't cover? I don't think so. But all these subjects, we could probably spend an hour on mm-hmm. each of them, mm-hmm. and or another hour on each of them. So um, there, there's always things with, within, you know, I get off the phone and I think, oh, we started talking about yeah. that, but then I never completed that thought. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, people are going to draw this conclusion about me because I said that, but then I didn't follow it up with, yeah. with, you know, more clarity on it. So that always happens. I will say if um, people do have questions about anything I've said or you can always contact me on Facebook or on the Art and Science Forum or the Sound Healing Network Forum, where I'm in one of the ad- administrators there, or at the, uh, the, the Sound Healing Forum, Great. which I would give the website of. It's not that simple. It's, it's, a, it's soundhealingforum.discussion.community. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why hmm. it has to be that and not just dot something with three letters yeah i never noticed that huh yeah oh and about the voice thing um you know even last year when i did the workshop at omega i had people say to me oh i didn't realize we were going to use our voice that much well i do put it in the description it's not the only thing we do and everybody who 
comes and doesn't realize it, I, that's actually a good thing because a lot of people I found will not do things mm-hmm. because of the fear around their voice. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, so it's actually better if you don't forget what I just said. Yeah. It's actually the workshop, not about the voice <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but if you happen to show up and you find yourself confronted with using your voice, there is a step and it's something we do on the first day or the, the morning of the second day, actually, I um, do this practice and people will have incredible fear around it, but then they step up and it's just like taking that step, mm-hmm. you know, the steps are right there and mm-hmm. you're afraid to take the step, but you just take that step. Like I mentioned that first time with Sarah, um, it's not as, what I do is not as fear inducing as what she did to me, mm-hmm. uh, but just taking that step and it's amazing what happens and things open up and your whole sense of self and confidence shifts profoundly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to lean into it in, in order to let go of the fear. Yeah. 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 And, and I'll, I'll, yeah, one last thing I'll say as well. <clears throat> one of several last things is that there's an essay that Sarah wrote that I included in my first book which is, is out of print, but that essay is also at my website. And it's, um, it's by Sarah, and it's called Freeing the Voice, Sounding the Soul. And then in a very short, you know, on paper, it's like two pages. She covers, for, that, for me, she covers more potent, more vital essence than what some people cover in an entire book. And, and the opening line of that essay is... I may not quote this quite right, but it's approximately there is no place to hide in the sound of your voice. Mm-hmm. And um, and as I mentioned earlier, with my my own voice, you know, when I'm doing events, depends on where I'm at that that day. <clears throat> my voice can cover. You know, this morning I have congestion in my throat, and I was trying to clear it out before I got on with the phone with you, and that's just what it is now. You know, it reveals, it reflects your fears, your joys, your hopes, your love, your um, anger, whatever's going on with you, it's reflected in your voice. But that's something to be embraced and gone into with open arms and and really explore. And in doing so, in in approaching that, that aspect of sound healing, which is not always addressed in sound healing trainings, um, to me, that is the most vital, essential element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome. This has been great. It's just flown by, too. <laughs> Thank you so much for for sharing all your stories and experiences, and um, I'm excited for, for people to hear this. Well, thank you again for having me on. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate it. I um, It's always an honor, uh, you know, Many of these forums, I, I see certain guests and I go, wow, they're having that person on. Mm-hmm. And then I think, oh, you know, I, I never look at myself and go, oh, wow, I'm on. <laughs> you know, so it's it's really, it, it's it's just, you know, it's it's an honor to 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 be asked to do this this sort of thing. Well, it's an honor to have you on as, you know, um, I too am so inspired by world music and I just love that you've, followed your passion and 
it's it's truly limitless once you you find that that pa- passion and inspiration so thanks for for sharing that with us yeah, yeah. for sure okay <clears throat> all right well thanks so much and have a beautiful rest of your day okay thank you yep bye okay bye-bye Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. Keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts, as well as music meditations, on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned.